Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Hey everybody, this is Marnie. Welcome, welcome. We're excited to have you with us this afternoon for another edition of Marnie's Friends. Today we are concentrating on branding. Uh, our program is called Brand Centric Beyond Basic Branding, and our guest today is Karen Leland of the Sterling Marketing Group. During the next hour, you're going to want to grab some kind of a notepad because Karen's going to share with you five functions of brand alignment, how to walk the branding talk, how to line up all of your P's and Q's and the three ways customers judge your company brand, why brand is everyone's business, how to let brand energy drive brand design how to utilize the power of teams to drive continuous plan improvement, and how to create narrative-driven standards. Over the past 25 years, Karen Leland has successfully worked as a management and marketing consultant. She's written eight books, spoken, and been interviewed around the world, and is the founder of Sterling Marketing Group. Welcome to you, Karen. Excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, and it is great to have you, and I'm excited to uh, kind of pick your brain here on the air about marketing and branding in specific. And your your group, the Sterling Marketing Group, I assume that one of the first things you guys do when people come to you for consulting is step back and say, what does your brand look like? Am I right, or is there a different place where you start? No, we, we absolutely, you know, you always have to start by taking what I call an intake. You have to start by taking a look at how is the brand currently represented in the world today? Not just not just in what people say about it and the language they use, but in the collateral, you know, their website and their social media and their brochures and anything they use to represent their brand. And so it's like when you go to a doctor and they start by getting all your vital signs and they start looking at all mm. of that. It's a very similar idea. You have to see where you're standing currently in time before you can know how to move from there to whatever the objectives or the goals are. Yeah, I love it. I love getting the vital signs. That's such a great word picture. Um, you, you actually talk about five functions of brand alignment, why it's so important. Do you want to just take us through those? Yeah, well, in an organization, and this is, of course, different if you're a solopreneur running your own business, but in an organization, if you have employees and staff, et cetera, you know, it's not enough to just have a brand. You have to have it aligned throughout the organization. And really, there's, there's five ways that companies do that. And first and foremost is customer experience. So, you know, brand-centric companies are customer-focused companies. And, you know, you, so many people don't realize that the way you treat your customer is a in very integral part of the brand reputation that you have. And that's not just interpersonally how you treat the customer, but how well your product works, how well your, the processes that you have the customer go through work. You know, and then the, the second alignment is really management commitment. You know, so many companies, they talk a good game about brand, but what their managers are, are, are measuring is something completely different than how well the brand is being expressed in the marketplace or how well it's being received or how the brand is being seen. I mean, look at everything that's 
going on with Facebook right now. You know, that's, that's a great example to me of, of not really having a great top-down commitment about what the brand should be. Then the third yeah. sort of area is employee engagement. You know, you have to have your employees really understand their role as brand ambassadors or it, doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And then there's, of course, processes and, and systems and standards. I mean, we all know companies that say, hey, dedicated to giving you great service. We want to be the best. We want to, you know, be we're committed to this. And then every time you try to deal with them, it's just a nightmare because their processes and their systems and their standards actually are not aligned with what they say their brand is. So it's interesting because really organizations that, that, that create these alignments tend to have much stronger brands. And then the last one is really company infrastructure. So, you know, how does your company approach the people side of the business? How do you define roles and responsibilities? How do you reward people? How do you recognize people? Do your job descriptions, are they built around what the brand is? And if you think about it, it's pretty logical. It's one thing to say what your brand is and to have nice slogans about it. It's another thing for the way your organization is run internally to actually reflect that. Hmm. I love that your number one is the customer experience because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. Um, no, no matter what else is going on, if the customer isn't experiencing the brand, it can't hold up. So when you when you begin to work with someone on branding, how do you actually define a brand? Like how how do you guys look at it there, the Sterling Marketing Group? Well, you know, a brand to me is really it's well. I I actually like Jeff Bezos's description, which is what people say about you when you're not in the room. You know, your brand <laughs> yeah. is your is the is the reputation that you have. It really is how you are viewed and seen and talked about by your customers, by the marketplace in general, might be even. And so to me, it really is that what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Yeah, and and you wanted to talk to us a little bit about walking the branding talk. So, um, you know, with this in, in mind, how do you actually how do you actually walk it out then? Well, you know, we've all gone to a company that we wanted to do business with. And they said, oh, here's what our company is about, and here's what we promise you, and here's what we're going to do, and here's our philosophy, and here's how we like to work. And then you start working with them, and you think, what happened to that person I was having a conversation with before I wrote a check? It's just a completely different experience. And so part of it is when I talk about walking your talk, whether you're an individual entrepreneur, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a business, once you know what your brand is and you're clear on your brand, then it's really on you to make sure that your behavior lines up with what it is you say you're committed to. I'll give you a perfect example of this. I'm, I'm a million-mile flyer with United Airlines. Now, I don't really fly them very much anymore because they're just so difficult to deal with. I, I've switched but, you know, I was a million-mile flyer with United Airlines, and every couple of years they'd come out with a new campaign, dedicated to giving you the service you deserve, fly the friendly skies, and it's some logo or some slogan. But my experience on the plane and dealing with them almost never matched that. Now, there were really great individual flight attendants, don't get me wrong, but overall in dealing with their organization, it was it was literally just a slogan. It had no reality in how they treated their customer. And I think we've seen from some of the recent events on United Airlines that it still doesn't have anything to do with how they treat their customers. So it's not about the nice slogans that you have. It's about really in, in the experience of the people 
who are using your product, using your service, dealing with your company, that that brand is being reflected in their experience. And I know that sounds like such an obvious and simple thing, but so few businesses and people are actually doing that. So do you feel like the reason why is because the marketing people just get going on an idea and it doesn't get implemented across the whole culture? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one is marketing and and branding have become very divorced from often the rest of the organization and things tend to function in silos. So yes, I think on one hand, you have a lot of organizations where the marketing and the communications people just come up with whatever they come up with but has no reality based on what the commitment of the organization is to. So, yes, I think that's one problem. But I think the other problem is that people don't really understand that about your brand and saying what you are is the tip of the iceberg, that there's really all of this work to do, deep, intense yeah. work to do, to get it to the point where your organization, even if you're a small business, where your business functions according to that brand in its policies and its procedures in the way it interacts with its customers, in its you know, and, and that that's the part that people miss, because that takes work, yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, it's it's almost like, you know, what what the uh, blueprint looks like on paper compared to what it's going to look like in the real world. You have to be able to yeah, see that vision for how thing. that's actually actually going to look in three D. Uh, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Karen Leland of the Sterling Marketing Group. Dot com, sterlingmarketinggroup.com. We're going to come right back and talk about how to line up all your P's and Q's, three ways customers judge your company brand, and why brand is everybody's business. All employees need to be brand ambassadors. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Find your next speaker at womenspeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring nearly 1,000 Christian women speakers from every state, denomination, and fee range some near you. It's all available to you 24 hours a day, so you can start your most enjoyable speaker search anytime you have time. Search by location, name, topic, or fee range. Connect directly with the speakers you like using their social media links or the online connection box. It's really that easy. Womenspeakers.com has been the number one online connection place since 2002. Speaker profiles include a bio, professional headshot photo, a list of topics with descriptions, some references from people who've heard them speak, and so much more. It's all fast, fun, and free to search anytime you have time, day or night. Check it out right now at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marty. We're talking about branding today with our brand expert, Karen Leland of sterlingmarketinggroup.com. Karen, um, when people start to do branding, uh, what is one of the biggest mistakes people start when they just start out thinking about, you know, what's my brand? Is there is there a common well, pitfall think, that people just fall into? I think there's a couple of common pitfalls. And one of them is that people tend to think about their brand as their elevator pitch. And while, of course, you need an elevator pitch because there are times we just have to say our brand really quickly and fast, that's really not that that's really not all there is. In the research that I did up leading up to the book, I found that there were really seven key areas you had to focus on and articulate and identify to have your brand really be healthy, robust, complete, etc. So I think one thing is that people tend to really short change the thinking through the articulation of their brand in these these different lenses. I think that's one mistake people make. The other mistake people make is they very quickly want to just get some language figured out 
and then move on to the tactics. And I can't tell you how many times a week I get a call where somebody goes, you know, we spent $20,000 or $30,000 or $300,000 putting together a website, but it doesn't really feel right. Or we spent this money on a Facebook campaign and it's not really producing what we want. And, and often the problem with that and the reason is because they didn't really think the brand through first. So there's this rush to tactical implementation. Like people have oh. to be doing all of this tactical implementation and be on all this social media and often they don't really think it through. So people end up wasting a lot of time and, frankly, a lot of money on tactics that are not really the appropriate or right tactics for their their business and their brand. Yeah. Yeah, which is why we're going to talk next year about lining up the P's and Q's of the three ways customers actually judge your company brand. As you take us into that, um, you guys just – I think that one of the I, – I like what you said there about you jump ahead – tend to go to the tactics before you get it lined up. And there are just things that we can do that can help to make these um, processes work better for us, the branding work better for us as we go forward. So go ahead and go through the three ways customers judge your company brand. So there's really three what I call dimensions to how people judge your brand. And, and, and this is true whether you're a single entrepreneur, solopreneur, or whether you're a Fortune 500 company. And one is the, the interpersonal dimension, and that's the dimension of, of a customer's experience that relates to the attitude and the actions that their customer, that your customers are going to encounter in dealing with your staff. So there's communication styles and there's social interactions. All those things shape the customer's experience of your brand at the interpersonal level. So, you know, when you, when you take an airline flight and the flight itself was, goes as planned, it leaves on time, it arrives on time, your seat reclines properly, but the flight attendants are snarly, you don't walk away going, wow, what a great brand, just because everything worked properly. So the interpersonal dimension is one dimension of how people will judge a brand. The other dimension is what I call the product dimension, and that's the dimension of your customer experience that relates to the physical quality of the product that you sell. Or if it's a service business, it's the tangible assets that you bring to the table. So just going back to that airline analogy, because I think most of your audience has flown, has flown for work and understands that one. It's a really easy one to get. If the service on the flight is really fr- friendly, but the seat is broken and doesn't recline and they run out of peanuts before they get to you, you're likely to have a negative impression of the carrier's brand. Now, the product dimension of a brand includes things like a website and other marketing collaterals. Those are you know, physical assets that a customer in- interacts with. All of those things overall impact you know, your brand reputation. And then the third dimension is really the process dimension. And that's the dimension of your customer experience that relates to how easy or how hard it is for a business to do company with you. So let's say that you're efficient and you're speedy and you're effective and, you know, you know how to do that. That affects the way customers feel about your brand. So, again, going back to my airline flight analogy, so if the flight attendants are pleasant and you get your peanuts but the plane leaves three hours late due to mechanical failure – you're going to have a bad taste in your mouth. And I think sometimes companies focus on one dimension more than another to make to think thinking that's going to make their brand. But really to have the strongest brand, you have to consistently be hitting it out of the park on all three dimensions. And again, that's hard to do. That takes work. That's not just something you get by sitting back. That is so great. Uh- a stool with three legs, you know, and you cannot have a broken leg and make it work. That's so awesome. When you are um, helping people analyze this, is it just pretty obvious usually where the problem lies? 
Yeah, I mean, it is obvious to me where the problem is. But then again, it, it's, you know, it's like when you go to a, a doctor who's a specialist in something, they've seen so many cases of it that they, they know what it looks like. So I've been doing this yeah. for a really long time, and I've seen so many different industries in different organizations and different companies and different countries, in fact, that it's really pretty easy for me to spot off what are the what are sort of the top issues and problems that a company is having. Mm. Do you guys actually use some kind of an analysis tool, or I mean, when you when you start with a company, do you actually do an assessment of some kind? I do use an analysis. If I'm doing a personal brand for an executive or CEO, I have a personal brand analysis tool I use. And if it's a company, I have a company brand assessment tool I use. But they're tools that I created out of my research for the book. They're not other people's tools. But, yeah, we definitely start with an assessment tool. And in the book, are they in, are, is something like that included in the book too? Yeah, there's lots and lots of, uh, of the assessments are in the book, so both the personal brand, the CEO brand, and the business brand. Okay. Okay, great. Great. And you guys can check that out. Oh, it's available, I'm sure, Amazon, but also over at Sterling Marketing Group. Dot com? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, let's go ahead and keep going here. Let's talk about why brand is everybody's business. And you talk about employees as brand ambassadors, and we kind of go back to that first, the five functions of the brand alignment. You know, you've got to have number three, the employee engagement going on here. So let's spend a little time and dive into when that doesn't happen, and how we can help to make sure that that is happening. Well, you know, the thing is, is that it, when you look at, for example, there was a, a 2015 career builder poll, and 52% of employers said they use social networking sites to, re- to research candidates. So, you know, that's why I say branding is everybody's business, because if you're looking for a job and you're not online, or you're not online in an effective way, that's really too bad because you're going to miss out. You know, you also have something like 35% of employers have sent friend requests, excuse me, friend requests to potential job candidates with private accounts, and 80% who've tried say they've succeeded. And part of what they're doing is they're looking to see how it's represented online. So I think in the world we live in, in this 24 by 7, you can find out anything about anybody at a click. You have to know that how you are viewed online is in part shaping the way, the opportunities you have in your career. So I don't think there's anyone from the CEO to the secretary who, who can afford not to have a really strong strategic personal brand today. Mm. Yeah, and when, we're, and when we're working with people that are underneath us or in our company, to, you know, I've been doing some, I've been doing some research lately um, trying to find executives at certain, a certain type of company at LinkedIn, it's amazing how many aren't there. They're just not even there. Isn't it incredible? I, I just I have executives say to me sometimes, <laughs> I don't want to be on LinkedIn because I don't want anyone to reach out to me. And I said, well, you know, something like me. the statistics are, well, the statistics are 77% of the people you're going to go meet with want to check you out on LinkedIn for something like 65% of reporters use LinkedIn to find sources. I mean, it's insane. It's like not saying I don't want a telephone because I don't want anyone to call me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So in a company, in a company, how important, how important is it for like the leadership of the company to be encouraging their downline, everybody that's underneath them to have brand centric, um, 
you know, they own their own LinkedIn profiles, obviously. Everybody owns their own. We don't have to do it the way the company is heading right. the direction of where do, you, where do you find the balance there in helping people that are in the company to actually represent the company even at their LinkedIn profile? Well, a lot of companies, by the way, have social media policies because there are things you are allowed to say and not say even on your LinkedIn profile if you're representing that you work for the company. So I think, I think every company needs to have a really strong social media profile, uh, excuse me, social media policy. I think that's one thing that's happening is people have various and sundry limitations. But, you know, sometimes I'll run into a company where they will not want to pay for the employee, even if it's a senior executive or the person, to help them do their LinkedIn. And I think that's crazy because customers will check them out on LinkedIn. So from my perspective, Companies have a responsibility, just like they give their, their employees training on different things, they have a responsibility to make sure that their employees have at least a basic, core, up-to-speed presence on, social, on LinkedIn as a social media, if nothing else, so that customers can look them up and it can create a positive impression of the company from the customer's point of view. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So let's go back kind of to we're bringing in a new brand direction with the company. Uh, maybe it's been going this way for a while, but now we're going to introduce this new brand, and we want everybody to get on board. We've got all these employees. Um, we've got feedback that, you know, people don't like change, and we like the old one. Um, how How is it that people can, that leadership can actually get a whole group whole organization refocused onto a new brand? Well, I, there's a couple of, of really ways in which to do this, but I think the important thing is that you really do have to start first by engaging the C-suite. You know, I mean, bottom-up cultural change is as rare as a pink unicorn with purple spots. I mean, it just doesn't happen that often. The reality is, is that unless people believe that their leaders are generally committed to that, that brand, then no process is going to go very far. So, and I've seen lots and lots of, you know, quote-unquote rebrands be killed and brought down by bad behavior on the part of leadership. So I think it's really having a senior team that's overseeing the brand and the brand change. It's including being brand-centric as a focus and an expression of customer commitment. It's setting long-term and short-term goals for being, you know, for the brand. And it's creating and communicating company-wide a message about what the brand actually is and what the commitment of the brand is. That's really the first, the first part, is that's the, the job the C-suite has to do. Once that's done, then the, the organization, the senior people, really have to start to build awareness. You know, if you're going to gain commitment to whatever your rebrand is, buy-in has to occur at the various levels of constituencies within the organization. And once you've got management commitment, the next step is you have to assess the gap between the current level of the brand and the desired brand, and that includes getting feedback from staff, customers, and management about what they see, what they see the brand being, where they see it going, where they see the issues are. You know, and that's, that's something that is shockingly a lot of companies just don't do. And then, you know, the next thing is you really have to educate and train people. You have to give people training about what does being a brand ambassador in this organization with this particular brand mean. And that's educating people, training people, encouraging people, supporting people. You know, long-term changes are not made in being a, the brand of a culture of a company without the commitment and the support of management, but it also doesn't exist without the staff buying in either. So, there, you know, that includes evaluating people's attitude towards the brand, their ability to deliver on the brand, includes coaching people and the principles and the skills that they need to deliver on the brand, 
and then supporting, encouraging, and rewarding them. And that's how you grow a brand from the inside out. And then, of course, you have to do, you know, you have to take borrow a lesson from the old TQM days, and you have to practice continuous improvement. It's impossible to create a brand or rebrand without taking on the policies, the procedures, the systems, the standards in a half-hearted way. You have to really look at how are those things impacting the brand. And then, you know, lastly, you do have to have a reward and a recognition that rewards people when they, are, when they act consistent with the brand. You know, in the final analysis, what, what leadership says only carries so much weight. It's really what leaders reward. And it's not, I'm not just talking about financial incentives. I'm actually talking about an environment of recognition where praise and, and promotion, you know, and acknowledgement and awards are all part of people who really meet with the brand and the standard of the brand. And those things, again, sound so easy, but I've spent almost 30 years doing organizational change, you know, changing companies. You know, now it's around brand, but it used to be around customer engagement. It was around employee engagement, around leadership development. And I've never found that you don't need to be doing those five things. You always have to be doing those five things if you want to create any change, including if you want to rebrand and have that brand rebrand stick. Who have you seen, can you give us an example of a company you've worked with, and you don't even need to name their name unless you want to, but um, somebody you've seen that has really done an amazing job of this, of getting their team on oh, board yeah. with the rebrand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have NDAs, so I can't really say the name of the company. Sure, <laughs> but they're sure. an agricultural. They're an agricultural company. Um, they're one of the. They're for their field for what they produce. They're one of the largest in the world, and they had a really old brand that was from just years and years of of being the kind of company they were, and they realized they needed to rebrand. And they had tried to do that for several years, but. The problem was everybody still operated in silos, so some people took on the new brand and other people didn't, and it was just horribly inconsistent. And when they were trying to solve a cross-departmental cross or cross-organizational problems, they just couldn't because everybody had their own fiefdom and point of view and et cetera. So when I started working with them, they, they really saw that they had to do this from the top down. And, you know, all credit to them. I, you know, I told them what to do, and I was a good coach, and I was good, you know, I was a good consultant. But they did all the hard work, you know, so all credit goes to them because they did the hard work. But, you know, they really had to start by defining who they were at the senior levels and then looking at what is it going to take to get there. And then they did it the right way. They didn't just rush into action. They made sure everyone in the organization understood here's where we are, here's where we need to go as a brand, and here's why. And here's the role you play in that. And here's the training and the education we're going to give you. And, you know, we trained – I trained – you know, at least a dozen people in their organization to run groups for looking at process, you know, continuous brand improvement groups to look at processes and procedures. And, you know, the CEO told me that there were problems, brand issues that they had had that had been going on for six, seven, eight years that, you know, got cleared up in a couple of months once the team sat down and were educated and could focus on it. So I've seen this happen over and over again in my career, but it takes what it takes is understanding that doing this is a marathon, not a sprint. This isn't something that's going to happen quickly and overnight. It's, no, you make progress all along the way, but it's something that's going to happen as a function of keeping at it over time. And, you know, that just, we all want the magic fairy dust these days. 
People want the magic fairy dust to all of a sudden be famous. They want the magic fairy dust to be rich. They want the magic fairy dust to transform their organization. They want the magic fairy dust to be, you know, have a great brand all of a sudden. And it just, it just unfortunately, I wish it did, but it just doesn't work that way. I like the analogy of a marathon or a long trip in that, you know, it takes planning before you even start. And then once you get going, that's when the real hard work begins. So a lot of times we think, okay, now we did the, the preparation work and now it's just going to flow. But actually, yeah, we're done. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're just starting. We're done. <laughs> okay, this is my spent a day on that. Marty. This is Marty. We're visiting today with Karen Leland of SterlingMarketingGroup.com. We're going to come right back and talk about how to let brand energy drive brand design and how to utilize the power of teams to drive continuous brand improvement. We'll be right back. Women's ministry leaders across America rely on womensevents.info to find the major Christian women's events coming to their area. Womensevents.info is the only online directory of its kind featuring all the upcoming major Christian women's events. You are invited to search for events coming near you or to add your own major Christian women's events. Everything's easy and accessible over at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and you're joining us for Brand Centric, Beyond the Basic Branding, with our guest today, Karen Leland of SterlingMarketingGroup.com. Karen is the author of eight books. Karen, I think your most recent book is The Brand Mapping Strategy, and maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I have been doing a lot of branding work with, in, you know, CEOs, executives, personal branding with those two groups, and then I'm doing a lot of business branding. And there were people that would call me in. Of course, I wasn't, they couldn't necessarily afford me at the time. And so I started gathering a lot of information. And at one point I thought, you know, I've got enough models and data and I've tried it up enough that it's really time to write a book. And so I basically took a year and I did a huge amount of, one or two years, and I did a huge amount of research. And then I went to um, Entrepreneur Press, who had done my last book. I said, hey, I have an idea for a book, and they were interested. And so really the brand mapping strategy, design, build, and accelerate your brand, came out of both the work I was doing in the field with individuals for personal branding and companies for business branding and teams for team branding. And then that was a combination of the work in the field plus the research. And the book's really meant to be a practical application of the topic. It's not an academic take on the topic. It's really meant to be a practical application on the topic. If somebody were to sit down with your book and go through it cover to cover, um, what time of a timeline would you expect that it would take to actually do the whole process? Um, probably a month if they did all the exercises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys want to check this out. The Brand Mapping Strategy is the name of the book. Karen Leland is the author. Okay, let's keep going here. We're going to talk next about how to let brand energy drive brand design. So maybe first define for us what the brand energy is and then um, talk about how it affects brand design. Well, you know, the thing about about your brand, remember I was saying there were different lenses that you could look through? And the thing about brand energy is it's really this, it's the, you know, one of the first questions I ask every new client is what's the leading thing with you? In other words, what's the one or two things that you or your team or your business can be counted on to contribute. And if the, the brand 
you know, if what I call the brand tone and temperament is the mood of your brand, then the brand energy is the, you know, the flair or the aptitude, the talents that you bring under all circumstances. And one of the things I found in the research that I did was that there were 12, really 12 archetypal brand energies that most personal and business brands fall into. And I, I won't go through all 12 of them because we don't have the time, but things like some people were advocates and some people were makers and some people were fixers and some people were storytellers and some people were facilitators. And while theoretically everybody had access to all of those brand energies, usually I found that people usually moved into naturally developing one or two of them to their fullest potential, either through circumstance or inclination, by the way, either one. And that when people knew what their particular brand energy was, it helped them craft their brand building stat strategy because they understood their natural strengths. They understood how to align how their brand could fit with them authentically as a team or a business or an individual. And that and that's really what the brand energy is. It's about really identifying what's really the heart of your contribution. And the shorthand way I say that is what's the weather you bring with you. Okay. Somehow I missed that last little part. What's the blank with you? What's the weather you bring with you? Weather. Okay. The energy, the weather. Okay, cool. So when you said something else too, that there's a brand energy, which is more like the flair, the aptitude or the talent that you have under any circumstances. But there was another side of that that you just mentioned very quickly that I'm not familiar with. Can you go back to that? Yeah, it's one of the other lenses. It's the, in the, the brand mapping process, the brand strategy process, it's really the brand tone and temperament. You know, it's the fundamental sort of character or disposition or outlook or spirit. It's the qualities that usually people can perceive about themselves all the way back to childhood. You know, what's the brand personality or character or mood? And in terms of business, you can clearly see brand personality playing out daily. You know, so think about how Apple is known for trendy, innovative design and Disney's known for family-oriented fun and Walmart's known for basics at value and price and understanding and articulating your brand's core personality traits, whether it's again, business team or personal is really critical to creating a consistent brand across platforms. It also affects the visual elements that make up your brand identity, color palette you use and the logo type and the fonts and the logo marks and the web design and layout and even the business name and even the background and the clothing choices for headshots that can all be driven by what the brand tone and temperament is. Hmm. Cool. That's, that is so cool. So how do you then, how do you let the brand energy drive the brand design? Well, you know, the thing is the brand tone and temperament drives the brand design more than the brand energy. The brand energy is more that if you understand what your core contribution is, the weather that you bring with you is, you're able to do two things. One, you're able to, if you're on a team, get other people who have other different energies and contributions on that team so that you're not all just doing it in one way. And, and so there's a greater diversity. When you have a diversity of contribution styles and contributions, you have a much better outcome. So I think that's one way that people use that to drive brand. But the other way is by aligning yourself with the things that are actually within your your bailiwick, as it were. You know, I often say to people, look, if your most natural brand contribution is being a mentor, then you want to be looking at saying yes to those things that allow you to really express that mentorship. If, you're, if, you're, if your least successful brand energy, let's say, is being an implementer, don't put yourself in a position where you have to be doing a lot of implementation. I mean, you see this all the time with startup founders. Their, 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 their brand energy is, for example, often, not always, but often is visionary. 
they have this great vision, they come up with things, and then someone tries to put them in charge of running their company, and it fails miserably because they're not implementers. So you have to really know make the greatest contribution. Great. Uh, Karen, somehow somehow there's a, you, you keep fading out just a little bit, and at the end of that sentence you faded out. So some people are visionaries, so some people are implementers, and if, go on from there and repeat that part. Yeah, I said some people are, like, a lot of times you have a startup founder, and they'll be a visionary, but they're not very good at implementing it. So once, once they start running the company, they start being, they, they're not as successful. Now, that's not always the case. Now, some are just the opposite. But, but the point being that you want to align yourself with the things that are at your greatest contribution because then you're, you're, you're able to make the biggest contribution with your brand rather than trying to do something that's not really effective for who you are. So since, since diversity is such a huge um, benefit in a company, in an organization, how do you decide whose energy or which weather, which weather system to bring with as the brand? Is it, is it always, the, well, is it always the, the person in charge? Or? No, I think it's different. I think part of what, make, what works in an organization is that the brand of a company, you know, the brand of the business, right? The brand of a business can have a fundamental energy. I mean, some companies are, you know, some companies are by their nature, they are, they are implementation companies. That's what they do. They help people implement something. You know, if you're a financial planning firm, you know, that might, and you're a hands-on financial planning firm, that might be the brand energy of your business. But what's really powerful is even if the business itself has a brand energy or a unique contribution, it's to, to hire all different kinds of people and get as much diversity as you can in the contribution of the people that you've hired. Because if you're, just, if you're hiring all implementers, you've got a problem. If you're hiring all mentors, you've got a problem. If you're hiring all you know, visionaries, you've got a problem. We really need that diversity of individuals. Sure, that makes a lot Does of sense. Does that make sense? And, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So when you're, okay, so let's, let's flip sides now. Now we're on the side of the person who's looking to join an organization. And you can relate to the brand, but that's not your strength. That's not your energy. Um, how do you go about, how do you go about, A, getting in there, <laughs> and B, being useful in your energy versus only in the brand energy, in the business's brand? Well, I think part of it is, if you're going to work for a company, you better, it's really wise to make sure that, no, I'm here. Can you hear me? Karen, we're not hearing anything. I'm not sure. You are still here. Oh, I think I think she was dropped. Um, so I'm sure she'll join us back here in just a moment uh, to to keep going with this. We're going to take a quick little break and give her time to call back in. I'm not sure why um, why the system dropped her, but it should be back in a few minutes. We'll be right back. ready to experience your best life possible and share biblical success principles with others? Register for the SPI Coach Certification Program today. SPI or SPI stands for Success Principles Intensive. It's a six-hour online program that equips you to fully comprehend and train biblical success principles. You can check it out today over at Marnie.com. It's available as part of the mentorship program, or you can buy it as a standalone certification program. Learn more now at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. 
Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we have our guest back with us. Karen, welcome back to you. <laughs> Thank you. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either, but that's okay. We're happy that you're here. So I was. my question was, um, so because this brand energy, where we're talking about brand energy being, you know, the weather that you bring with you and that a business has its brand, has its own brand energy. So now let's say that you want to, or a person is interested in getting on the team of a business that has a brand energy that's very diverse from their own. That's a long way out. How, does, how do you go about um, trying to get in with an organization like that and then blending in when you have such a different perspective or approach to things? Well, I think one thing is, is you have to make sure that any company you go to work for, you can actually stand behind the brand of that company. So if you don't feel good about the brand of that company, you're going to have a really hard time doing your job in a way that's got any power to it. So I think that's the first thing. And I think one of the, I, I have to say that one of the great things I think about millennials is that millennials are very sensitive to working for a company where they really believe in the mission of the company, the vision of the company, the brand of the company. That's one of the things you really see with millennials. They don't want to work for businesses just for the paycheck. They want to work for companies where they can actually get behind what their brand is. So that's, I think, one thing. The other thing, though, is, is once you're in the once you're when you're going to apply for a company, when you're going to look for work for a company, you also have to be able to articulate to them how your particular personal brand might contribute to their overall brand vision and mission. And of course, that's there's no one answer to that. That changes. But I think a lot of people don't think about when they go to go to work for go to interview with a company, they don't think about talking about here's how I think I can contribute with my particular unique skills, talents etc. to your organization in terms of, of the brand of your organization. And I think that's a really important conversation to have when you're going to work for somebody. Yeah. Which, you know, and on the hiring end, you know, as, a, as an employer bringing someone in, you know, we're always looking for a, a good match, like somebody that really matches well with, with where we see the vision of the company or the organization being as far as uh, someone who has those strengths, that, that tone and temperament like you've been talking about. So as far as an employer, maybe speak a word to us about the importance of thinking a little outside of the box in this way. I think one of the things that happens with employers is they tend to go, okay, we've got this square, you know, we've got, a, we've got this mm-hmm. square and we've got to find the, the square that fits it. And thinking more from the point of view of skills, and it's not that skills aren't important, don't get me wrong, but I think that there's been an overemphasis on, okay, we need to hire somebody with, you know, these set of skills. They know Word, they know this, they can do that, they can do this. And, and again, are those skills important? Yes, but I don't think there's been enough attention paid in the hiring of people to who, what, are we, what do we need in terms of this department what is somebody, what is a kind of a contribution or a brand energy that we need that we don't just need that skill, we need that weather, you know, that they bring with them with that contribution, with that particular way of working or looking at the world. I feel like that's often missing when people go to hire people. So they hire people who they check all the boxes off on, but the person ultimately ends up not fitting within the organization. Yeah, and then we're going to talk next about teams, which is where you have to get to with that, because if you don't fit with the team, <laughs> it's just not going to work out in the end. So talk about how to utilize team then to drive drive brand. Well, I talked about it a little bit earlier with my client where I said we were doing um, 
you know, the, the, the brand and the continuous brand improvement. So one of the things I used to do, I used to do customer engagement in organizations. So one of the big things that was part of that was total quality management. How do you do, you know, quality groups and quality management so that you're able to sort processes and procedures so that they're as customer focused as possible. And in the work I do as a branding strategist, when I work with companies, I will often train a group of staff within an organization to be facilitators of these continuous brand improvement groups. Because really what I found is if you have an issue that's affecting the brand, if you gather a group of people together, you know, maybe five people, maybe ten, maybe eight people who have something to do with that problem and they understand it, and you take them through a logical, you know, problem-solving defined process to solve it, then oftentimes they're able very quickly to get to the heart of what the issue is and come up with a workable solution. And oftentimes in organizations, we're just not really using people that way. We're not, I mean, using in the best sense of the word, not using in a negative sense. You know, we're not mm-hmm. utilizing people and their talents and their skills and their knowledge to really solve these kinds of brand issues. And so I think team, a team approach can be a very powerful way to get your brand built in an organization. Yeah, I love, I love the team use too, you know, kind of brainstorm and go through, you know, what are the angles available to us, the SWOT and all that. How about before you have a problem, when you're trying to implement the new brand, how do you use teams at that point? You don't have a problem. You're just implementing something new. Well, I think one of the best ways to use teams in that sense is to actually go to the people that, you know, to get a real cross-section of your organization, particularly the people that deal with the customer, and to ask them, what do you hear from the customer about how we're seen? What do you hear from the customer about how we're meeting or not meeting our brand, you know, commitment? What's the, you know, what is, what is your experience of where our brand is making it and where we're failing? And again, so often people at the senior levels don't really go to the people who are dealing with this stuff every day, day to day with the customers to get their feedback. And I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a, just a, an enormous mistake. Right. And because you're just in the back office and you're not really out there seeing it. The other thing is I think that it adds a lot. I mean, this right here, you were talking earlier about the, the absolute need for reward and recognition. Simply being asked, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? What are people telling you? I mean, that is right there a way to make uh, staff feel like they're really valuable to the whole organization instead of all these decisions always coming from the back the back office and the the customer the customer service people never getting in on it. I mean, it's it's just a huge difference. Yeah, it's a gigantic difference. And you know, part of it is that when you ask people, they are more bought into the final solution that you actually the, the ultimate you know solution that you and ultimately come up with, or the ultimate brand that you that you come up with. Where have you seen this really go wrong? The team. Um, what do people do that sabotage this team success principle? Well, I think one thing that people do that sabotage it is they they really stay in their protective silos. Like, no, this is our area. You stay out of it. That that will kill this faster than anything. I think that's one thing is when people really hunker down in their silos. The other thing that will kill it is when, every, when they try to have everybody on the team be of the same contribution elk, what we were talking about earlier. You know, if you've got a bunch of people that are, you know, implementers sitting around on a team, they're going to get a lot done, but they're not necessarily going to get it done. You know, they're not going to have the right vision to get it done. If you've got a bunch of visionaries sitting around on a team, 
they'll have really good ideas, but they won't get anything done. So I think that the lack <laughs> of diversity of contribution, I think, is a big problem in these in teams today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love I love that because uh, that can, that is so true. And you know, I mean, it's back to it's back to really valuing the person who has the different perspective again, and not crushing that person because they're sometimes the ones that are going to come up with the real the real game changers, you know, as far as implementation. Absolutely. Goes, every, you know, everybody's on the same page, and then you've got this one person who keeps on. <laughs> but just to give it, give it space, do you do a lot of, do you do a lot of brainstorming? And, and if you do, if you do, do you have rules that you use when you're brainstorming with a group? I do do a lot of brainstorming. I do a lot of ideation and figuring out, you know, names and things like that and solving problems. Well, I mean, the, the biggest rule for brainstorming is that brainstorming is a, a, a divergent process. It is not a convergent process. Brainstorming is really about getting all the ideas up on the table, not at the same time you're getting the ideas on the table, judging and evaluating the ideas. And that's the right. most important right. rule when I do brainstorming is we're just going to let everything go. and We're not going to worry about evaluating anything. When we get to the evaluation part, we'll evaluate, but not now. Yeah, yeah, it's so important. Otherwise, people just shut down, and you're going to get um, you're going to get just the same ideas or the the same tone of ideas all the way along. And it's sometimes those brainstorming where where people are really free to just throw out crazy thoughts that sometimes they combine with other thoughts to really take you in a new direction that you hadn't seen before. So cool. Um, what? How do you actually create narrative driven standards? First of all, what is a narrative driven standard, and then how do you create them? Well, the thing about a standards is a lot of standards are answer the phone within 24 hours, right? And, it, yes, that's a good standard to have, and it's good to have a measure in there. But a narrative-driven standard is really a standard that connects the, the, the actual measurable part of the standard with why you're doing it, like how it impacts the brand. So think about it. If your standard is return all customer calls within 24 hours, Fine, that's a pretty good standard. That's decent. People can do that. But that's a lot different than saying the standard is we're going to respond to all customer calls within 24 hours, and here's why. Because what we know from our research is when we call people back within 24 hours, they actually feel like we're taking care of them. And when they feel like they're, taking care, they're being taken care of, then they experience the brand as being caring. And one of our fundamental brand tenants is that we're caring. So it's, it's really putting the narration behind it so that people understand what's the, what's the reason that you're doing that standard. How does that standard impact the client or the coworker? And so often companies just give do this, do this, do that, but they don't really give the bigger reasoning behind it. And the bigger reasoning behind it, the why, the narrative why, makes a huge difference. They've done research now on the use of the word because. And when you use it, your, your chances of getting people to cooperate with you just go skyrocket compared to when you don't use the cause yeah. and give them a reason. And I think, like you said earlier, too, millennials, I think, are, you have to with millennials. You don't get to just say, because I said so. They just don't buy it. Right. Um, you, you have to give them the because. You know, I, when I was training, um, training a team on, on complaints, uh, I said, I'm going to empower you to handle the complaint all the way to customer satisfaction right in the moment up to this level. And then I gave them a top, you know, a top mark. They couldn't go up farther than that without assistance. But right in that moment, because, the reason is because, first of all, only 
20% of upset people ever complain. The other 80% never even bother to tell us they're upset. They just go do business elsewhere. So this 20% who's complaining is really doing us a big favor by telling us what we're doing wrong. Also, if you can handle the complaint in the moment to the customer's satisfaction, they're more likely to be a more loyal customer than if they had never had an issue. But if you leave it for me till tomorrow, I have a 50-50 chance, and if you leave it, if, if, if I don't find out about it and get it taken care of for two weeks, I'm, I'm probably going to lose that customer. So, I mean, if you, can, if you can just remember to give them the becauses, it changes the whole um, understanding, like in this situation, of a customer complaint. You know, what is it? How can it be used for good? And what am I supposed to do about it? So give us another example of this narrative-driven again. Give us another example. Of a narrative-driven standard? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, for example, I'll give you an example of an internal one. So often in an organization, one of the standards will be, excuse me, that people, that managers have to do performance reviews for staff, let's say, once a quarter or once every six months, right? And I can't tell you how many people actually don't even meet that standard and do it. But if they do, how many of them, it's an eye-rolling like, oh, my God, I've got to do that performance performance review time again. I've got to do it. And people do it just as a, you know, a have to, as opposed to really tying the performance reviews and that you're doing those performance reviews for a reason. And the reason is to be able to see where your staff, where the person is and where they want to be and how you can help coach them and how you can help get them there and how doing that helps them fulfill whatever their role as a, as a brand ambassador in the organization is. It's just giving people that bigger picture. And, again, it is shocking to me how little, how infrequently that happens in organizations. Hmm. Yeah, it, and it's just such an easy fix. <laughs> just adopt the word because and use it's it a lot. It's not a hard fix. No, that's the thing. It isn't. It's actually not a hard fix. Yeah, and I know for me, like it changes. I'm going to go back to my complaint um, scenario again, just because for me, it changed how I perceived dealing with customer complaints when I understood the statistics and what happens when you can handle it in the moment. I mean, it changed it changed everything for me because I used to just take them, and it was so difficult for me to personally process that I, I didn't want to mess up for people ever. And when I did, I felt really bad and. You know, when we first bought the restaurant, which was like 15 years ago now, we go in the back and cry. You know, I mean, it was terrible. And when 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 I understood that this complaint is really a gift and that there was something positive we can do about it, you know, and I think everybody feels that way about their area of expertise or their area of responsibility. They really want to understand how they can do a better job, what they can do that will help make this better. And when you bring people together in teams, and you let them verbalize these things and learn from each other also when you um, use the word because. It just helps so much. We've got a couple minutes left, Karen, and I want to give you a moment to invite people over to sterlingmarketinggroup.com. First of all, your new book is over there, which is called um, The Brand Mapping Strategy, Design, Build, and Accelerate Your Brand. And also, what else do people find when they go over to sterlingmarketinggroup.com? Well, there's a ton of blogs, and they're, you know, all about this topic of leadership and branding and personal branding and, you know, business branding. So there's a ton of blogs with a lot of information about the topic of branding. Um, there's definitely, we've got some videos over there and things like that that people can see. 
and some products. And, you know, it's just a good, I mean, I think one of the things about the site is we tried to make it really so that people get a, get get information about what branding is and, and how branding can be used. The blog, and, and then there's the podcast. So I have a podcast called Thought Talk, and the podcast is also over there as well. And so where I interview other people, actually, about their, you know, I really interview some of the top thinkers on all kinds of topics related to business. And so, you know, there's just a lot of information available on the website. That's so cool. Some of your other books are Time Management in an Instant, 60 Ways to Make the Most of Your Day, Water Cooler Wisdom, How Smart People Prosper in the Face of Conflict, Pressure and Change, and uh, several more. And, of course, your latest book, The Brand Mapping Strategy. And that's all available to you guys over at sterlingmarketinggroup.com. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. This was great, and uh, you really shared a lot of great content. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for being here. It's always great to have you with us uh, during the live programs here at Blog Talk Radio, as well as those of you who host us on your websites and stations around the Internet and beyond. And then for those of you who listen to the archives, we love to have you here too. And know that you can always access all of those over at marniesfriends.com. And you can join us live here each Wednesday afternoon for the program with our guests at blogtalkradio.com forward slash friends. Again, thanks for being here. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and see you next time. There is a huge difference between working for God and allowing God to work through us. My latest book, Flow Through Vessel, explains how to master the habit of letting God flow through our lives. When we try to do everything good for God, we quickly fail. But when we learn how to allow God to flow His life and love through us, we find strength for the day. Check out this new Bible study resource at www.marnie.com. That's www.marnie.com. moments right after the show and help me out. I am curious who we're missing. So for example, do you know of any speaker who is missing from womenspeakers.com? Do you know of a guest expert who you'd love to hear me interview on Marnie's Friends? Or maybe you know of a major Christian women's event group that is not yet represented over at womensevents.info. Would you just take a moment after the show, swing over to Marnie.com and use the support link at the bottom of any page to recommend her to us. That would be awesome. I thank you for partnering with me in ministry, and God bless your day. Minutes with Marnie is my per-minute coaching service. Whenever you feel stuck, have an idea you want to run by me, need to pick my brain, or would like me to edit your one-pager media pitch, just schedule a 15 to 60-minute session using the Easy Calendar tool at Marnie.com. I'm so grateful that you're here with us today, and I hope to connect with you one-on-one soon. Visit Marnie.com, that's M-A-R-N-I-E.com, to schedule your coaching session right now.
We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.